0: Street Coaching. This is a show where we talk about leadership. We talk about how those who support others support themselves. And this is our continuation of our leadership series. And today with me, I have a guest, a special guest, Carolyn.
1: Hi, everyone. Good morning. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. So, Carolyn, how do you like to be introduced?
1: I... Um, Currently, I've been introducing myself as a candidate for uh, city council in District 25, which is um, neighborhoods Elmhurst and Jackson Heights in Queens, New York City. Um, But besides that, I am also a single mom with two young daughters and public school, lifelong, um, well, not lifelong, but over a decade year public servant, um, just all around regular person trying to do an irregular job.
0: A regular person trying to do a regular job. Irregular. (laughs) Irregular. Of course. <laughs> now, how does one get into, because obviously there's always a lot of press and a lot of prestige and a lot of visibility in in government jobs, but traditionally local city council, which almost is just as impactful on what people experience in their day-to-day lives as whatever goes on in CNN, most people overlook that. So how does one start getting into that world of local government?
1: Mm-hmm. I definitely agree about its impact I would actually say that local government is probably the most impactful to somebody's um everyday life right because it is the govern the level of government that has Um, the most access that you can access easily, right? You can call about a pothole, you can call about quality of life issues, or you can call about laws that impact you on a city level, right? So um, I think for a lot of people, because it is maybe so close, um, they don't think it as something that they should get involved in, right? But for me, I guess like my path to this is is not common. So I, I moved out to New York almost 13 years ago, To do um, my master's in urban policy. Um, And then my program required me to start an internship. And so, you know, I was looking at my local elected officials to see if I was interested in any of them. And I saw that my neighboring council member um, was the chair of the immigration committee, which I was, which I am very interested and passionate about. And so I applied for an internship. And that's actually how I got my foot in the door Um, and where I started as an intern. Um, and then I worked my way up to do constituent services for the bulk of the time. And then for the past five years, I was the chief of staff. Um, and so I was in that office for almost 12 years. And that's actually how I got my um, foot into the door
0: of local government. And now here you are. Here I, I am. And,
1: and I never imagined in those 12 years that I would even run for office. I actually did not even like that side of um, government, right, because I really saw how dirty and corrupt um, politics can be. And that oftentimes, you know, like, it is really just about maintaining power and maintaining the status quo. And so my passion was always about service, right, making sure that I was leveraging government for our most marginalized community members to access and that was where I, I found the most fulfilling part of this work. Um, but, but really, and then, you know, we could talk about it later, or I don't know how you want to transition, but, you know, I never had any plans. Um, and it was, I was, I would say I was a very reluctant candidate. For office
0: well yeah I mean let's absolutely get into that because when you say words like corrupt right in power people probably think of like uh, an episode of law and order or mm-hmm. the wire right very very pop culture is where most people probably get their um their vision of what they think local government and how especially in a in a larger population dense area like New York so how would you like to clarify what your experiences and how you ended up being drawn to that mm-hmm. that work? despite those challenges?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, the way that I became politicized was in college. Um, I was at San Francisco State University, which is the birthplace, essentially, of ethnic studies. And mm-hmm. so I became very politicized when I started taking Asian-American studies courses and learning about the contributions of Asian-Americans in civil rights, in the civil rights movement. Um, and it just really opened up my eyes about, you know, um, the structures and institutions of racism, sexism um, and, and inequities. Right. And so that is kind of where my orientation to movements came from, you know, um, I came re- I became really inspired by the Black Panthers Party, which was right across the bridge, um, and by ethnic studies. And so that has always kind of been like my grounding in social justice work. And I never saw government as like the only tool for social justice. I always saw that as one tool that we engage with, but not the ultimate or only. Right. And so I think that that because Because of the the long history of government, right, working against movements, and so that was kind of my orientation to government and into movement. And so, like when when I started my internship, it was never um, with this with this thinking that I was going to change the world that way, right? It was more like, all right, this is one space that I will learn how to use these tools to to further the movement for for justice, right? And so it being inside of that space and really seeing how especially I don't and I feel like maybe it's more heightened in New York City because it is such a big, big city in itself and like the politics is, is so huge, is that I just saw that it really became about power after a while, right? And and yes, like there are there are elected officials who are doing good work and passing good legislation. But the but the way that electoral politics is set up is really in a way, I believe, for, for communities and movements to fail, right? It's we, we put all of our hopes and dreams into one person, person, hoping that they'll make the right decision, right? And we end up putting them on a pedestal and treating them like a celebrity. And then when they don't vote in the way that we want to or make a decision that goes against um our movements. There's really no function of accountability there. There's no, maybe they'll have a protest or two in front of their like office or door, but then that's it. Right. And so I think that the model of leadership or electoral politics, um, really sets us up to fail. And so like the way that I got to this point, um, was because I wanted to explore something different in partnership with grassroots organizations in this district. And so for the last couple of years, I have been actually encouraging and looking for organizers um, in this district to run for office because I felt like they had been doing the work. They're grounded in our working class communities and they know, um, you know, the issues and, and how, and how to organize, right? And, and I felt like that is what our government needs. Um, people who don't aspire to become career politicians or don't don't wake up dreaming to be one, right? Like people who are already rooted in their community and then kind of find this path. So in my process of trying to encourage organizers to run They all rejected me. Right. And they all said, like, Carolyn, it's really difficult to replace a good organizer who's bilingual, who knows how to work with um, working class immigrant communities. That is a skill that is definitely hard to replace. But because you have already been doing this work and, you know, the inside out of, of government. And you also have a practice of amplifying community solutions you run and will support your campaign. And so that's why I say I was a reluctant candidate because I, (laughs) you know, I never saw myself as one. And I think oftentimes, you know, people who are outside of the structures of power, you know, being a single parent, being a woman of color, um, you're not necessarily seen as somebody um, to invest in maybe for, um, for this type of work or for leadership or to run for office, right? And so, um, finding myself in that place, it was either saying no. Or really like using the tools that I've gained over this past decade to really then step up, um, and do this, um, for what my community is asking me for. So that's how I came, um, into this. And like my type of leadership has always been like working in collaboration, right? I, that, I feel like that is always, um, the most powerful and effective way to lead. And I don't see elected officials as the end all and actually it should be that movement's lead and that uh, the elected official does what they need to do on the inside that groups send you to do right so um thinking about and experimenting with different models of leadership when you are elected it has been something that that um, organizers and i have been talking about with this campaign
0: Yeah. So you have this view into into the world of local government and you're trying to encourage others and saying, you know, you could do this, you could stand up. And they're saying, no, no, Carolyn, I can't do that. I, you know, I have an accent. Um, I'm a single mom. And that led you to decide to take the charge yourself. And you mentioned that you're utilizing tools. Any specific tools come to mind that you're utilizing as you have Mm -hmm. filled in that role for others?
1: I would say I think the tool that that I've I've always used um has been like knowledge, right? And be, being in government, especially in such a high level, right, as chief of staff, you have to and especially being a woman and a woman of color to hold such a high position for so long, I have to work extra hard, right? Like mm-hmm. um all the chief of staff before me um and even now, right? Have all been cis white men, right? Nothing wrong with that. But I have been the only person in that position that was a person of color and a woman. So knowing that, knowing that I've had to work extra hard to really hold my, my self down in this position. Um, and then using that information, those skills of how, um, committees work, how funding is introduced, how funding gets allocated, right? Learning, knowing all that, and then wanting to share that with my community, especially to those who are, um, oftentimes like left out because they don't have the language needs that they don't understand what even their local government does. Um, has been the one tool that I've always wanted to use and have been using with my um, community. The one thing that really annoys me about government and people who work in government is that people like to be gatekeepers. And, um, you know, and I think part of being a gatekeeper is trying to retain power, right? Because you only want certain people to have that knowledge uh, because it would help you, right? And so, I think the biggest tool, whether it's um, my ability to relate to people, right, is sharing that information in a way that is accessible um, and also in, in a format that people, people understand. Has been, I think, the tool that has has like gotten me to where I am. Because the one thing that like we hear constantly, over and over again, about this campaign is our authenticity. Um, and you know, and that's not something that you can replicate, right? That's not something that you can like that consultants can teach you or that um, you pick up, right? That's just you know the spirit and part of you and what you represent in a campaign.
0: Yeah that's awesome. So knowledge is power uh-huh. and authenticity is the other uh-huh. thing that I heard. And one of the one of the things that I find is that when you see a majority in a position of power sometimes there is the the misuse of power and then sometimes there is that that accidental people are impacted by a mission right so as white you know majority white males are in office they think of majority white male problems they don't think about putting communication in languages that their constituents or the other people, they don't think about the things that are outside their bubble. And so you get to bring that as being a part of the community and maybe reflect the, what the members of the community looks like. So how has authenticity been something new that's being brought to, to your community through your leadership?
1: Mm -hmm. I think also, um, my, my family's immigration story, like this district is the most diverse neighborhood in the whole country, right? We have um, community members from everywhere from the world. And, you know, we all have different stories and journeys of how we've gotten here. And mine, I think, is, is not unique, but also is relatable, right? And they also see me then maybe as like, um, like a younger sister or as a daughter, you know, my parents were refugees to this country. Um, and when they came here, their first jobs was in the service industry. My mom was a nail salon worker and my dad installed cable. Right. And so, you know, like that experience of being working class immigrants and ha- not having access to or only having access to low wage, low wage paying jobs, no health care, no job security is one that it's very relatable to a lot of um, community members, right? So I think, um, I think also because I have been showing up for my community, not in a way where I'm like, I need to nurture this relationship because I'm going to run for office and I'm going to need them, right? It has always been that I've shown up. Because my community needs me and I'm here to offer something to them, Um, whether it be access to government, um, helping them navigate um, city resources or being a liaison to city agency has always been um, of service to my community. And it has never been I'm showing up because I um you know uh, eventually I'm gonna run for office, and I'm gonna need your support right so I think that is, that is a tool or how that's authenticity as well is that um you're honest about your intentions or and and that's reflective in your actions too, and that's what I mean like you cannot replicate that right um and people know like our community members can smell bullshit from a mile from miles away.
0: <laughs> Is that a heavy burden to wear knowing that the people you're serving, they see a family member, they see a cousin, a daughter, a parent in the work that you're doing in the way that you lead?
1: No, I mean, I think that I think that has been maybe the most fulfilling part of it, right? Is that I really do feel like um, this district, this community raised me, Um, essentially, like, you know, it really um, sharpened my analysis on class, race, gender, um, for over a decade. Right. And that's where I saw that, that analysis, um, get practice. Right. And so, you know, I moved here, um, 13 years ago. So I was 20, let me see, I'm 38 now. So like 25. Yeah. I moved here. So I was like very young, you know, had very like limited life experience. Um, and so like, now that I'm 38, you know, I definitely have matured, gained a lot of experience. And in that time has always been this district, right? I have always been rooted and grounded in this district. And so for me, I feel like I am a daughter or a child of this district, even though I didn't um, grow up here, but I definitely developed like essentially a big part of who I am here. So, you know, it's not it's not a burden. It's not a big lift. If anything, it feels like home, right? It feels like when I am in my community and I'm, and I'm speaking with my neighbors, it feels very um, safe and, and comfortable.
0: So it sounds like you're actually getting emboldened and getting energy from the people that see that authentic relationship or see that reflection in the way that you serve. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Ha- so, when you also see in the recent news cycle that you know minority issues have have become front and center, does that also provide energy as well? I mean, we saw saw Black Lives Matter movement. We saw Stop Asian Hate. Um, I mean, those things are have been pretty big ticket. Where even though for most minorities they would say, "Well, we've been we've been dealing with this for a while." But for a lot of people that don't have insight into that, because Mm -hmm. it's been on the news, it's become front and center.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, in this district, again, with it being so diverse, right, we are really an example of how the world um, or how this country could coexist um, peacefully. Not to say that we don't have our own like issues or challenges, right? But, you know, a lot of those issues are things that our community have been impacted by for so long. So it's not mm-hmm. new, right. You know, like um, in New York City, stop and frisk was a huge issue years ago. Right. Because we saw the police um, over policing our black and brown communities. Right. Um, in this district, we have a large Muslim community that was over surveillance post 9-11. Um, and we also have a large Asian-American community. Food, um I would say like maybe the violence was not so outwardly visible as it is like, these days, but like, you know, I, I connect that to like crimes of like poverty, you know, not funding public schools um, fully, right? Um, not funding our public hospitals are also violence against our communities. And I always like to say communities of color or people of color because like we are no longer that minority here in New York City, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I think these are issues that I think are only heightened now because maybe social media and that like, again, this is the work of movements and organizers pushing this issue to become more heightened, right? But these are um, conditions and challenges that have existed um, for decades.
0: So knowing all this, that this is kind of, this is something that, that your community has been dealing with, regardless of what's in social media, what's on the mainstream media, how do you show up to lead? How do you describe your leadership style, knowing that there's still a lot of a lot of things to address?
1: Mm-hmm. My leadership style is one, ironically, where I don't feel like I am leading. Right. Like, again, like I never saw elected official, and essentially myself as like a leader in that sense, right? And I also don't, I want to revert that power back to organizations and to movements. For me, leadership is like amplifying community organizers, amplifying community um, um, organizations and grassroots movements, right? That is my place that, that this power that I have access to is to share, is to collaborate so that those who are on the ground doing the work um are, are amplified, right? And so my leadership has been always been collaborative because what we've seen is like we don't in in our world, we don't need saviors. We don't need somebody who feels like they know everything, that they um are gonna be the ones to lead. It really always is movements and organizations that are leading the way. And so I think we need to really normalize that in terms of like leadership, right? Because again, We put all of our investments in one person and when they don't fulfill our standards or our views of what it means to lead, then we either get really disappointed, right? They continue to not be accountable to us. So we need to normalize that leadership is a collaboration, not just one person.
0: Yeah. So even if you're collaborating with people and you're trying to amplify voices, I mean, the image that I get, Carolyn, is that you are acting as a megaphone for these grassroots movements, for these impacted people that traditionally don't get a voice or a seat at the table. But can you keep everyone happy? Because if you're amplifying someone's voice over here, what if another impacted group, they don't agree? Mm -hmm. And they go, well, we we elected this person and and now they're not fighting for us. They're fighting for Mm -hmm. someone else. How do you Mm -hmm. balance that?
1: Yeah, great question. You know, like in doing movement work and doing um, coalition building, right? There's always going to be challenges. Like we see that every day in like our our family lives, right? Or just even in like our our friendships, right? It's never that we always get along and that there's never any challenges. Um, But it's, I think the ability and desire to work through that so that whatever the results is, um, its impact is done with less harm, right? So yes, there's always going to be differences, right? Especially when you have different communities or when you have um, different methods of organizing, right? But it's the ability to facilitate conversations, to understand people's um, perspectives and their size, but then also to say like, hey, like, you know, as a group or as a coalition, we feel like this is the best way. This may not be how you believe, but how can we then lessen the impact of that so it's not as harmful, right? Um, and, and normalizing that and working through that as a as a community.
0: Yeah, that's usually a very difficult challenge, whether you're in a business or a family mm-hmm. or a friendship
1: mm-hmm. or a
0: government entity. Mm-hmm. And so you're facilitating conversations. What would you say is the most important things to keep those conversations productive rather than devolve into, you know, what traditionally happens, which is mm-hmm. name calling or, you know, maybe the the logical fallacies or mm-hmm. just writing someone off and the conversation stops?
1: Yeah. Why well, definitely? Well, so you know that work is some, is a lifetime commitment right and because we're like working against what we're raised um you know to feel or to um, react when we don't really like get our way, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would say the base, like under, like establishing a basic understanding of like, you know, we're here to really, um, improve the lives of our community members and to create a space where we all feel safe enough to do so, right? Like, you know, our campaign really believes in building, a, a world or a culture that's grounded in care and accountability, right? And that doesn't mean that like, you know, the care and accountability also, also comes in the part where like, we don't agree, right? And so I think establishing that, that we're all here to do good work and to improve the lives of our working class communities. Um, And we may have differences, but like, let's, ensure that like when there are that we feel safe enough to bring those up and that we can work through it in ways that like are culturally and linguistically appropriate right um and that that really is then meaning that you have um, access to people who speak the language who understand also with you like what you're trying to do or what we're trying to do together right um Mm -hmm. it's like bringing community leaders in working with them not just like saying i want to do this and like disseminate that information to your community but seeing them as like thought partners through the process, right? Because then when you work in collaboration, it's not only growing the message or the um, work that you're trying to do, it's also expanding that person's like political education um, or leadership development.
0: So you're using collaboration to overcome conflict, using communication to making sure that everyone is represented and trying to get consensus. But what about the other side when people have been fighting the good fight for so long, they're just like, this is, this is just how it is. It's never going to get better. And people start giving up on maybe some of their beliefs or grassroots movements. How do you show up for those people?
1: I think you have to always like nurture those, right? Like burnout is real in this work um, because of like the, the, the system, right? It's like, um, and I think people, people mistakenly think that, that justice happens overnight when it's really a movement that that we all need to sustain in our lifetimes. Right. So I think understanding like people's, um, levels of commitment and when, and when they're burnt out, right. And, and when they're feeling frustrated and having a space where people can share that, um, and then really like allowing people then to have that opportunity to like step back when they need to. And then, and then others stepping up when, when others step back. Right. And so it it may sound kind of abstract to talk about it, but, but in practice, right. And this is what I have seen from organizers is that we create a community of care and support so that like folks who are feeling burnt out or who are feeling frustrated by the process can work through that together. Right. And, and what i've seen is like people who are really dedicated to this work know that it's it it is a long it is for the long haul right you're not going to get justice tomorrow or even next week right it's something that our communities have to work through together for a long
0: time interesting interesting yeah the the time for policy true policy change to happen and then even to be supported after it does happen that life cycle can be really long and so your focus sounds to be on the people that are getting burnt out. That there's someone else there to pass the baton to. Mm-hmm. So how are you, you know, with all this? Obviously, running for office when you never thought you'd be in politics, it has to be a, certainly a, taking a toll on you. How does one take care of themselves as they get, as you get closer to election time? Yeah. right?
1: I you don't
0: <laughs> <laughs> you don't take care of yourself.
1: I mean, I have a. I am fortunate to have a really strong team um, of neighbors, of moms, of parents, like a real strong, solid foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who are stepping up in terms of like childcare or helping me, um, you know, with the most essential things. And so, um, burnout is real, right? You know, I think in the the culture of campaign is one that is not sustainable right luckily we are five weeks away and so like the end is near but um taking care of oneself is very hard in this time right especially with so many people running there's um seven other people um running in this race there's a total of eight of us so it's like if i rest then i always feel like the seven other people are are working or doing more right and it, uh, to be completely honest, it's so hard to take care of yourself in this space. I try to. I try to eat when I can. I try to get enough rest. I try to spend time with my daughters. But all of that gets neglected um, daily, and that's just real, yeah.
0: life, well, yeah. And I think that's what what most interesting is because they're you know what people think you know oh you have this team of people following you around clipboards all the time but they forget that if you are a parent someone's gotta watch the kids and even in a Zoom world. It's very common to see whether you're in business or in local government, you know, people's kids bouncing around or their cats or their dogs, like jumping on their lap. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so you're, you're eating right. You're getting friends in the community to help watch your kids, help do babysitting, help manage all that stuff. Anything else that you're doing to take care of yourself?
1: I mean, I take, you know, I I take my breaks when I can. Um, But yeah, I just try to... Eat healthy, have my green juice, right? Um, get as much sun as I can. And, you know, the team is full of like young people and they keep me, you know, um, very lively and energetic. Um, but, you know, the team is strong and the team is very solid. And so, you know, I feel like in pre pandemic time, I would probably be burnt out a lot more. I'm definitely zoomed out. I'm so over Zoom.
0: Zoom fatigue. Um, yeah, they, Zoom yeah.
1: fatigue. And, and, and I feel like, yeah, so I feel like it was pre pandemic, it would be a totally different game because you would be out more, there'd be more gatherings, more events, right. But because of the pandemic that has definitely um, decreased. And so, you know, I don't feel as burnt out as I could be. Yes, I'm definitely tired. Yes. You know, my children are neglected. i yes. Sometimes I miss breakfast and stuff like that for them, <laughs> but like, we're, we're alive and we're thriving and we're doing okay.
0: So how are you feeling today then?
1: Great. Um, busy day, you know, the sun is out, um, got a lot of shit I need to do. So <laughs> feeling good though.
0: That's excellent to hear. So as, uh, the last kind of words of wisdom, if you were noticing anywhere else in your shoes, being like, no, nah, I'll never get into local government. I'll never get into leadership. That's not for me. What would you tell them if they were feeling either jaded or reluctant, reluctant, the reluctant leader?
1: Mm-hmm. Be like, you're absolutely right. <laughs> 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 um, I, you know, I would tell them like that. That that feelings like that is what we need to take the space in. And I, I think like if reluctant because you don't feel like you can. Uh, but if it's like reluctant because you don't want to do it, that's like something different, right? But I think in these spaces, like we need people who whose heart is there rooted in their community, right? Who want to see something different, but don't see themselves. And that's what we need. We need people who are here for the right reasons. And, and it's okay. Um, and then like from my experience, it's okay to not see yourself, but that is also why we need to take up space, um, in these places, right? So that like, um, younger Asian American girls, um, whose values are Um, about justice and about community work is very similar, see themselves reflected in this work. Right. You know, I think like for me, representation is important, but it's only important if those values are aligned um, with justice and with uh, uplifting those most marginalized. Right. It doesn't matter if you see an Asian face, but their politics are horrendous or or, or their values are different. Right. So for me, it's like, yes, you may be reluctant. Maybe you don't feel like you're capable of doing this, but that is why. Right. And and that is why we have to step up um, to, to take in these spaces. I, th- I always like to say that we need to infiltrate and agitate, especially people whose orientation to this work is rooted in movements, right? Because um, not so many of us take up these spaces. I would say do it, you know,
0: do it. Do it. You'll miss breakfast, Mm -hmm. but do it.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. You won't get enough sleep, but you know, you will.
0: Well, Carolyn, this has been awesome. It's been awesome to catch up. I wish you good luck in the upcoming election. Thank you. Where can people, you're welcome. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing or connect with you? Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm very active on social media, particularly on Instagram, but all of my Twitter, Facebook and Instagram handle is I am Carolyn Tran. And my website is Carolyn Tran dot us us. Um, you can find out more about the campaign Um, how to support it, about our policies and platform, and then social media is the best way to stay in touch with the campaign.
0: Well, we'll have links to all that in the show notes. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up for today?
1: No, I mean, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity to share my story and my experience um, with you. Even though you're not here in New York City, I think a lot of the Um, lessons and a lot of the um, experience really transcends like boundaries, right? Or where we live. So thank you so much, Jason, for this opportunity.
0: Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And I agree. I think a lot of the things you shared today are universal to a lot of people out there. So very happy to have you share your story with us. Thanks so much. And until next time.